In our study of the moral attributes of God, we have been considering the question, what do we know about the wisdom of God from the Bible? And we have quoted the text from Romans 11:33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Here we see that wisdom is differentiated from knowledge in reference to God. We have also seen from many scriptures that it is differentiated likewise in reference to man and that there are gifts of the Spirit involving wisdom and there are gifts of the Spirit involving knowledge. And from our study of the word wisdom, we have seen that it appears to be a higher state of mind or action than the mere knowledge of fact. And so we may say that wisdom is essentially knowledge in action that involves the character and the intentions of the one exercising it. And so the wisdom of God was God's benevolent use of his great storehouse of knowledge in bringing to pass his wonderful creation and endowing it with his marvelous bestowments of kindness and blessing. We have seen that it is a dynamic state of knowledge or a knowledge put to use in accomplishing something worthwhile. So in the second consideration, let us ask, what then is the relationship between personality, knowledge, moral character, and wisdom? All these factors are involved in the matter of wisdom. So let us proceed to find an understanding relationship between these important terms. First, by personality is meant that endowment of constitutional functions that qualifies one to live as a moral being. It is those features or characteristics that constitute a being a person and not an it. The Bible declares that we are like God, our Creator, in our basic natures, in that we have been given His image. This image involves the ability to think or reason, or what we call the intellect. God possesses such a thought life and declares that our thought life is similar to His, only on a lower plane. For example, in the 55th chapter of Isaiah, verses 8 and 9, we read concerning God's thoughts. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God has a profound thought life. And in the first chapter of Isaiah, verse 18, God invites us to reason along with him. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. This is the wonderful assertion of God's salvation. Though our lives are darkened in the pathway of sin, if we will only reason with God, forsake our sins in repentance, come to the cross of Jesus, and through faith in his death find forgiveness, we shall be wonderfully restored, wonderfully forgiven, wonderfully blessed in the loving mercy and pardon of God. 
But here God invites man to reason with him, affirming therefore that God has a great and profound reasoning process, and he has given us a similar process of reasoning. Personality also involves an ability of response or a feeling for the things that are thought upon, or that there is an emotional side to God's nature and also to ours. This is brought out in the seventh chapter of Micah and verses 18 and 19. How wonderful that God, though so great and profound, is so tender and so filled with compassion, but also his indignation is exercised against those who mistreat him by their rebellious lives. Who is a God like unto thee? that pardoneth iniquity, and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities, and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. How wonderful to experience the pardoning mercy of God. But for our present consideration, we want to observe that the great God has an emotional nature, that he has a delight in pardon, a delight in mercy, a delight in the relationship with his creatures. But also he must react against those who are rebelliously opposing his kindness and his love and his mercy. But God does possess as a part of his great personality an emotional nature. But then, as a part of personality, there must also be that mysterious ability to make decisions and do things, or the power of causation, which we call the will. Free actions of will are always uncaused. The will in normal moral action is always the cause of its own actions. There may be influences, it is true, toward certain actions. But this crowning endowment of personality, the will, enables the subject to exercise choice between motives and to decide to do one thing and not another. Man also has been given this sovereignty over his little orbit of existence, just like the great God holds all within the authority of his actions. Some of the many biblical examples of the manifestation of God's will are as follows. For example, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, we read the great assertion that God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. This was a decision of will, was it not? In the third chapter of Genesis, after we read of man's tragic fall and departure from his loving creator, There God made decision in the 22nd and 23rd verse. Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So God made decision to drive men out of the garden, this wonderful paradise into which man had been placed because of his sin. In the sixth chapter of Genesis, verse six, after sin had developed to such tragic consequences, 
We read, And it repented the Lord that he'd made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. So here was an action of God's will as he saw the tremendous development of sin. And so we might go through the Bible with a multitude of scriptures, but we will only assert one more. In the fourth chapter of Galatians and verse 4, we have the great decision on the part of the Father to send the Son into the world as man's Savior. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So here we have the endowment of will on the part of God. Apart from these endowments, no moral action would be possible. But with them, inactivity is impossible. But in the second place, the great personalities of the Godhead possess all factual knowledge that can be known. So as we are seeking the relationship between personality and knowledge, let us look at the matter of knowledge for a moment. Knowledge involves not only what is true about everything that is in existence, but the inner relations and the possibilities of all things that could be made. There is no moral character in this. It is simply a factual knowledge of possibilities and impossibilities. Uh, for example, all the reactions of science, which we call the laws of science, are at once known to God. God does not have to discover them as man does. The knowledge of God then embraces in one direct comprehension all knowable facts. But we proceed to the matter of moral character. So in the third place we ask, by moral character, what do we mean? It is an active something, as we have affirmed, rather than a static or stationary something. We might liken the equipment or endowments of personality to an automobile, for example, with its potential possibilities. We might liken knowledge to the matter of understanding of what it will do and all about it. And we might liken moral character to the use that is made of the automobile or how it is driven. So how we drive involves choice. We may use the vehicle in a manner profitable to all, or we may use it in a manner that's detrimental to all. As we have abundantly seen, God has made choice and continues to make choice to live for the end of benevolence or in a state of love and goodwilling toward all. This is the opposite of a state of selfishness. Thus the Bible declares, as we have seen in the simple words, God is love. Moral character, therefore, is related to knowledge for its source of facts and what can be done, and to personality as the endowments or equipment for life or moral action. Now wisdom is the achievements or accomplishment of moral character or moral action, employing the great storehouse of knowledge and the energies of God's great and wonderful personality. Wisdom is what knowledge can do when it is applied by a benevolent intention or purpose. 
It is an amalgamation of a loving purpose with an intellectual ability to design and bring to pass great things. Intellect contributes to profound designs. The kindness of moral character directs that these objects of creation shall be constructive and result in blessing and happiness to all. Thus the combination of profound ability and profound goodness in the Godhead have resulted in profound wisdom in all their works and manifestations. Wisdom is higher than knowledge because it is a benevolent use of knowledge. It is a knowledge tempered by and harnessed by goodness. The unspeakable goodness and holiness of God long to bestow itself upon others and engage the great mind of God to devise the whole plan of materialistic creation with all its immeasurable depths and relationship. The result is a demonstration of the wisdom of God. How wonderful are the thoughts that we derive from the Word of God. How glorious that God has revealed Himself to us in such a clear fashion. May we pray. Our Heavenly Father, how we thank Thee that Thy goodness of heart has led Thee to exercise all Thy great wisdom in our creation and in our relationship. And we thank Thee for Thy loving desires toward men. And now we pray that many may repent and avail themselves of Thy forgiveness through faith in Jesus as He died for their sins. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.